Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, May 5th, and we're talking big tech earnings and wrapping up Puzzle Week. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? We thought last week was busy. This week was really busy with the earnings. Yeah, back-to-back earnings episodes for us. And really, I mean, this is your favorite episode of the quarter, right? We're talking Apple earnings. I guess we'll work (laughs) our way into Facebook, too. Um, But I know this is one that you always look forward to. Of course. And uh, for listeners that have been following around all week on the episodes, we have the final clues for Industry Focus Puzzle Week at the end of the show. So make sure you stay tuned after we wrap up all of our earnings talk. Safe to say it's a jam-packed show here today. Uh, Evan, why don't we get right into the Apple discussion? So, Apple reported what looked like a pretty decent quarter. Uh, revenue for the second fiscal quarter totaled $52.9 billion. EPS came in at $2.10 a share, and the company sold 50.8 million iPhones. And, and you look at kind of what estimates were and what people were expecting. I mean, just under expectations with revenue, uh, they actually beat on EPS and missed a little bit on iPhone unit sales. Um, what, what did you make of this quarter? Yeah, I think the numbers were pretty, as far as kind of those those kind of headline numbers, yeah, I think it was pretty much in line with expectations. It was, you know, plus or minus a little bit on some of the metrics, but nothing really big, no, nothing, no big surprises one way or the other. So, in terms of, you know, iPhones or, you know, sales, you know, I don't think investors were too shocked, you know, one way or the other. I mean, of course, Anytime you hear iPhone sales less than expected, the stock sells off automatically just because people always kind of freak out about the iPhone. But I think that we, you know, we're definitely seeing, um, you know, I mean, Apple's so big at this point that it's really hard to put a big earnings beat anymore these days. Yeah. And so we, we touched on units there. And thankfully, iPhone ASPs were up, average selling price. Uh, they hit $655, which is up from $642 a year ago. And it seemed like that was really thanks to a stronger mix, um, kind of people buying at the higher price points uh, for the different form factors they offer. Um, so, so you have that going on, which helps them kind of make up the revenue for that segment. Do you have anything on maybe why they missed on the unit side? Anything um, related to kind of future product releases or something like that? Yeah, I mean, Tim Cook talked a little bit about like you know there, there does seem to be an impact on all the rumors because I mean, of course, iPhone rumors are always there every day. <laughs> but I think this year's cycle is the expectations are so high, and there's so many rumors that it's a particularly intense um, cycle of speculation that's going on, and, and people are waiting. Plus, you know, if you think about it, this is the first time they've ever used the same iPhone design for the third year in a row. So, you know, the design is getting a little long in the tooth because I mean, this this original design was unveiled in you know 2014. So. And of course, people just like new things, and you know. So I think that you know, those two factors are kind of are probably hurting you a little bit because people are waiting. I mean, even for me personally, I didn't buy the iPhone Seven because I didn't think it was that great, which is the first time I haven't upgraded in like eight years. And if even me, who's one of the biggest Apple fans out there, doesn't buy it, you have to wonder who else isn't buying it. And so people are just kind of really waiting for the next one. And of course, I'm I'm very excited to get the next one, whatever it is. But yeah, I think I think there are a couple things that are holding back. I mean, and you know, like you mentioned, I, ASPs were up, which was which was nice. Uh, the Seven Plus is finally in in supply demand balance because last quarter they they really kind of misgaged how much to produce and where demand would be would be focused. And it, it turns out it's really heavily skewed towards the Seven Plus, and they didn't really plan very well, and they they admitted that. Um, so it was it was up year over year, but down a little bit sequentially. I think last quarter ASPs for iPhone like 
695 or almost 700. So, you know, a little, a little bit of a sequential downtick there, but, you know, nothing too concerning because the point is still being that people are still loving that big 7 Plus and that thing is super expensive. So that is helping their driver selling prices overall. Yeah, and I think, I guess also just to kind of get into the mind of consumers a little bit here, you talk about how the form factor didn't really change all that much uh, year to year. And they made one major overhaul, which was the change to the microphone, uh, the headphone jack, right? And so you're asking people to make kind of a major change in how they consume content, or or maybe switch over and use the adapter there. And a lot of people might have said, you know what, like the updates to the phone itself aren't compelling enough for me to make that change. Right, and like they're just, I mean, I didn't think there was any really big headline feature that last year, uh, and even like the prior year, like for the 6s, the big feature was 3D touch, which. I think over time is kind of underwhelming. Like in my in the past two years of actually using it, it's, it's not like you. It's not like a feature you use every day. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a nice thing, but it's not like some game changing interface thing. And you know, I think it was kind of underwhelming. So last year, there, yeah, there wasn't really anything any big feature that's like I have to have this phone. I mean, I think the dual camera system is probably the the biggest selling point, but that's only on the seven plus. And for people like, for example, myself, like I don't like gigantic phones that you know the 5.5 inch display i think it's just too big i would like to have that dual camera system but i'm not willing to go up to the 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 bigger phone that also costs more just to get that camera so you know as far as like the regular 7 goes there wasn't really any huge upgrade that that really made people go out and say i need to get this phone right now whereas hopefully the next one i mean i mean of course there's like a million rumors right now but i mean it sounds like the next one will be a pretty big upgrade, and it'll be the 10th generation phone. It'll be a pretty big milestone, and, and I mean, you can bet that Apple is going to make a pretty big deal about it, both in terms of their marketing, but as well as all the features that they're going to try and stuff in there. Yeah. So switching over to a segment that has seemed to just be on fire uh, in in recent quarters, the services revenue jumped 18% to 7 billion, and it is now well, it has been Apple's second largest revenue stream, just behind the iPhone. Um, that that's pretty awesome, and I think it has been underappreciated for quite some time. I think the market is kind of starting to wise up to um, this pretty significant and very high margin part of Apple's business. Right, I, I definitely think that's that's what's happening. Is because, and particularly if you think about the histor- historical context of the services business, like you know, if you if you go back like maybe five years, Apple's whole kind of approach to content services and, and things like that was to basically break even and you know offer these things as a way to build its ecosystem and you know solidify retention and, and it, it more it was more of a strategic piece than a profit piece so they used to operate all their storefronts and things and say I mean they used to say you know they didn't really break it out as far as disclosures but they used to very publicly say you know hey we're we're really just trying to break even on this stuff you know it, it really it helps people you know people use the phones buy the phones but we're not really trying to make a whole, whole bunch of money on it and I think now that's that's very much swapped around because now they are very much making quite a bit of money on these services, and it is becoming a big profit driver. And I remember last quarter when we talked about the earnings, we mentioned how their guidance had called for a small uptick sequentially in gross margin, and we had talked about like that's really hard when you're coming off of a holiday quarter, um, when your revenue comes down from seasonal factors, you lose a lot of operating leverage all these things and it's like how are they going to actually put up an increase in gross margin and then now we know why <laughs> the answer is services because services are so profitable and i mean cfo luca maestri you know very much said hey you know the, the very the, the mix shifting towards services is really helping profitability 
And, you know, they did put up a sequential increase in gross margin of about 40 some odd basis points. I mean, I think that's really impressive. And that's really the services profitability shining right there. And it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, so four out of, four out of the past six quarters, it's been the second, second largest business, but, you know, greater than the Mac or than uh, iPad, you know, iPhone's the only thing that's bigger. So this is really becoming a very big, large, meaningful business, uh, both in terms of revenue as well as profitability. I mean, this is now like a $26 billion business on a trailing 12-month basis, and and it's also much more profitable than the hardware operations. So, I mean, I, I, I do think investors are, are, aren't fully appreciating it, and I don't think you'll be able to ignore it for very much longer because, you know, like they said last quarter, they're going to try to double this business over the next four years. So it's only going to keep going, growing from here. And it's something that really only continues to grow and get stronger the larger their installed base gets, right? You know, as they continue to penetrate new markets, um, services is going to be another tailwind that follows all those iPhone unit sales. So, um, you know, it's kind of an add on in some ways, but also because it's so profitable for them, um, certainly something to continue to watch. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of curious as to what's going on with wearables and Apple. You know, um, we hear so much about the Apple Watch. You know, you see tons of people wearing them. Uh, any updates on that product segment? So they they dropped a few clues. Again, I mean, of course, they obfuscate Apple Watch sales uh, within the other product segment. <clears throat> they did say that Apple sales were up, you know, roughly double, but without having any context, it's kind of like, who knows what that even it's means. It's a meaningless <laughs> number, right? <laughs> you know, two times a question mark. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Tim. <laughs> like, um, but what, what they did say is um, wearables, which you know, it's kind of a weird, I'm not sure why they do this, but the, you know, Apple considers AirPods and wireless Beats headphones as wearable products. And I know that technically wireless headphones are wearables because you wear them. I mean, I'm wearing wireless <laughs> headphones right now, but I, I don't think that like headphones are what people think of when they, when you hear the term wearable technology, you don't really jump to, oh, headphones. You no, think no. about like smartwatches and fitness trackers and things like that. Um, and you know, he did say that the wearables business is now the size of a Fortune 500 company, which means it's at least $5.1 billion over the past year. And with AirPods only recently launching Beats, you know, it's not clear how much they're bringing in from Beats wireless headphones. But uh, I mean, it's, I think it's safe to say that the majority of that revenue is from Apple Watch. So, I mean, that's kind of a hint. But, you know, again, they, you know, they're, they're not really giving away too much uh, as usual, which is really frustrating. But, you know, maybe eventually one day they'll start breaking it out. But I mean, it's weird because they've always said that we don't want to give it away because of competitive reasons. But competition in smartwatches is actually declining. <laughs> like, like people are getting out of the smartwatch market already, and there haven't been a whole lot of really strong product introductions. So, competition's actually getting easier. So, you know, they should just share the numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still tough to parse out what's going on there. I think. One place that the company has been super clear, though, is its capital return program. And uh, they obviously made some new announcements related to that. You want to touch on that, Evan? Yeah, so the, um, every March or April, uh, or basically this you know, fiscal second quarter earnings, uh, this is now every year, this has kind of the, become the, the traditional schedule. That's when they up, provide updates to the capital return program. Uh, this year, the update was pretty in line with previous years. Uh, it's a total increase of about $50 billion. And they're allocating most of that to share repurchases. About $35 billion is going towards share repurchases. 
uh, other 15 going towards dividends. So their share repurchase authorization is going from 175 billion to 210 billion. And to date, they've purchased right about 151-ish, I think. Uh, so they have about 60 billion of authorization that will last them until next year. So I mean, it's in the overall size of the increase this year is pretty much again in line with historical standards. Yet at the same time, their cash continues to grow to just ridiculous, unheard of levels. I mean, on a gross basis, they're now sitting on over a quarter trillion dollars in cash. Uh, of course, most of that, the vast majority of that is overseas, and that's before you factor in the net debt that they've been raising. They're actually just raised more debt this week. But I mean, they just have so much cash, and even even though they're, they're very aggressive with giving it back, they generate it so fast that they still add to their pile of money every quarter. And of course, like the big challenge with trying to do more with that is the whole repatriation thing. And you know, maybe Trump, the Trump administration, will actually have some type of holiday. There's been a lot of talk about that, but at this point, it's it's still pretty uncertain on if something like that will happen. Uh, if there's a one-time repatriation deal, either deemed repatriation or a one-time thing. I, I do think that Apple would take that opportunity to bring quite a bit of cash back. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, I think we have to acknowledge that the majority of their capital needs are actually outside the U.S. Um, you just know, just so because they do that's where all the manufacturing goes, cash. right? I'm sorry? Just because that's where all the manufacturing and all the tooling is, right? Right. That, that, that's the big, the big piece of it because uh, the majority of their capital expenditures is for product and tooling equipment. And this equipment is installed at contract manufacturers in Asia. So it's their equipment, but they're putting it in their partners' facilities, which are all located international. Plus, on top of that, you know, in, in terms of retail store expansion, the U.S. retail network for Apple stores is already pretty mature. And you know, over the past few years, they've been really focusing on growing the footprint internationally. So, and you know, those stores are pretty expensive, especially when you think about how nice Apple makes the stores. I mean, they use really high quality materials, and I mean, they put a lot of money into their stores just because that's the way they want to make the experience. So. Between increasing retail footprint internationally and the fact that the majority of the capital expenditures are concentrated in Asia, you know they, they do need to keep quite a bit of money out in, internationally. But obviously, they don't need anywhere near two hundred thirty billion dollars <laughs> internationally. That's just ridiculous. So I do think there's an opportunity to bring some back if you get a repatriation holiday. Maybe as far as what they would do with it, maybe pay down some of the debt to you know restrengthen the balance sheet. Maybe a special one-time dividend. I mean, I'm not a fan of the whole make a huge blockbuster acquisition idea, which some people like to talk about, because uh, I think that would be kind of irresponsible. But you know, we'll see what happens. It really just kind of hinges on this this idea of a tax repatriation, because that would allow them to really bring back more and either give it back or I don't know, do something more productive with it. Yeah, I think that will probably be one of the biggest stories to watch in 2017 for Apple and the Trump administration. Um, you touched on the dividend a little bit, and you know it's worth noting here they did boost their quarterly dividend payment ten and a half percent. It is now sixty three cents per share, and now Apple is the world's largest dividend payer. It just passed Exxon Mobil, which <laughs> you know is just another fun tidbit about the scale of their business and how quickly they're just printing cash. Yeah, I think they pay out. I think they're estimating at like thirteen billion dollars a year, which is you know the size of medium sized companies <laughs> just in dividends. Yeah. Um, Evan, anything else before we switch things over to Facebook on Apple? I mean, it seems to me like this is kind of a humming along, boring quarter for this company. And a lot of the intrigue for Apple in 2017 would come with a tax repatriation holiday 
or um, you know when, when they actually show what the next model of the iPhone looks like. So, so it's kind of a wait and see quarter for investors. Yeah, I mean this this quarter seasonally isn't really too exciting. Um, obviously, the fourth quarters, you know, the holiday quarters, that's where where the more exciting stuff comes in. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's kind of just kind of more of the same, just executing very well. Um, you know, I think the services piece is just probably the most important thing that we talked about. But other than that, just overall, just is a pretty solid quarter. All right, switching gears over to Facebook. Facebook's top line came in at eight billion, up forty nine percent year over year. Earnings per share came in at a dollar and four cents versus expectations of eighty seven cents a share. So it's a handy beat right there. Um, of that total top line, advertising revenue was seven point nine billion, and eighty five percent of which came from mobile. Um, this is this is and always has been an ad driven business. I think if you want to highlight just how well Facebook has transitioned to mobile. Think about that number, and then think about the fact that in Q1, average price per ad was up 14%, and the total number of impressions was up 32%. Last week, we talked about the ad dynamics with Twitter, and they were both not going in that direction, right? I mean, the the idea of average price per ads going up would be something that Twitter would love right now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're just crushing it on the mobile side. I mean, if you look at it on a trailing 12-month basis in dollar terms, uh, it's mobile ads are now a $25, $26 billion business for Facebook. Uh, and that is just incredibly impressive, considering the fact that five years ago they had basically nothing. And you know they've really worked hard to, to grow that business. So, I mean, they always disclose percentage, but yeah, I, I like to you know crush the numbers and look at in the dollar terms. And yeah, I mean, $25, $26 billion. It's funny because you know, that's, what, that's what Apple Services business is now. And that's like a side thing. That's like a side <laughs> thing for Apple. But that's like Facebook's core business right now. But it's growing so fast. I mean, it just continues to to really you know drive higher. Like you mentioned, ad prices are going up because so I think there's some you know the demand for for Facebook ads is outstripping the supply uh, for you know particularly what they're trying to do with the ad load and kind of improve the user experience. So ad prices are going up, and I mean that's it, 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 they're just putting up the really strong numbers. It's really hard to um, not love what they're doing. And and that's really backed up by all the ad industry research that I read about digital ad spend. You know, um, it's Google and Facebook that continue to eat up market share, and it comes at the expense of a lot of the smaller platforms. Uh, they just seem to get stronger and stronger, and and some of that is definitely fueled by what's going on on the user side for them. I mean, monthly actives now total 1.9 billion on Facebook, which is good for 17% year-over-year growth, and roughly 1.3 billion, or about two-thirds of those, are coming to the platform every day. Um, it, it's just baffling that they can put up that type of double-digit percentage growth on a denominator that is already in the billions. Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible like how much their user growth just keeps. I mean, I think on a sequential basis, monthly actives are up like seventy-eight million or something, and like that's like a third the size of Twitter, <laughs> and they just added that in a single quarter. <laughs> and you know, like just and, and you know, I think the the ratio of, of dailies to to monthlies is, is pretty. Pretty much always held constant, right around that two-thirds level that you mentioned. Um, so you know, no big changes on ter- in terms of like the engagement front there, which is interesting because you know, like, like we talked about last quarter or last week, Twitter's engagement is going up. Right, and, and if you you know look at directionally, you know, dailies versus monthlies, whereas Facebook's kind of holding flat. So that's not necessarily a bad thing because Facebook's a much bigger platform. And I think there's a different use case for it, uh, and obviously they're putting up much better. Financial numbers than Twitter, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, they have so many platforms now too that like each one of the, each platform individually continues to crush it. 
and Facebook has like five of them, like four of them. <laughs> so it, it, any, I think investors would be happy about any one of these platforms doing well, but they, they're just killing it on all, on literally all fronts. Yeah, it's funny to think about a platform that put up double-digit year-over-year growth and have that be kind of the mature platform in their portfolio, right? But you look over at Instagram. So Instagram has 700 million monthly actives as of this quarter. A year ago, that number was 400 million monthly actives. So, so that is insane growth that it's posting. And you look at the Instagram Stories feature, which is kind of the Snapchat mimic type thing that they rolled out recently. That already has over 200 million monthly active users, and it already has the daily, or sorry, that's daily active users. So it already has the daily active user base of Snapchat, despite being an add-on feature to a platform that already has, you know, uh, 700 million monthly actives, uh, which is just baffling. Right, and, and they also have the WhatsApp status, which is basically the same thing. You know, like it's ephemeral photo, video, GIF images that disappear, and and on on WhatsApp status, they have 175 million daily actives there too, which is also bigger than Snapchat. So they, you know, again, like they have all these platforms that are just growing, and and I mean that two billion monthly active number that they're approaching on the core platform is only for the core platform, and I mean, I think I, I do. I think I would like to see Facebook starting to report more detail on these other platforms because they're becoming so important, you know, big and important. I mean, they give these these like kind of infrequent updates through blog posts and stuff like that. But as far as like a quarterly basis, I I, I think that would be very useful for investors um, to to start breaking it out. And I mean, I know I know that they're not they acknowledge that they haven't yet because you know they're still selling Instagram ads through the kind of same core interface as Facebook. But you know, I think. From an investing perspective, that would be really useful to, to really better gauge the progress of each of these platforms, particularly the smaller ones. And even if they haven't really turned on the monetization bit yet, I think that having operating metrics, you know, would be really helpful. And I mean, another kind of interesting thing to, to kind of touch on while we're talking about reporting is that they've now announced that they're going to move away from non-GAAP um, reporting and, and only report on a GAAP basis, which I think is, is a pretty strong move. I think it shows a lot of confidence um, because you know a lot of the reason why companies report non-GAAP is just to make themselves look better, right? And if you don't need that, then you don't. There's no real reason to report it like that in that way. And of course, like the SEC prefers if you just pre- report on a GAAP basis. So I think that it's a pretty big move. But you know, if, if you look at, it, I mean, the biggest piece that they exclude when they do non-GAAP is stock-based compensation. And stock-based compensation is almost 20% of total operating costs. Wow. So that's a pretty big piece to either include or exclude, depending on you know which way you want to report it. But I think you know it, on a gap basis, even if you include their stock-based compensation, their operating margins are are in excess of 40%. So I mean, <laughs> they're they're doing really well. So that that's kind of what I'm saying is I think they can afford to take the hit on reporting in terms of what they tell investors to focus on, and at the same time. You know, it, it shows confidence. Like, hey, we're going to start including these costs because they are real costs, and we're not going to exclude it like other companies like to do. And we're still going to put up these incredibly strong numbers. So I, I do think it's it's a big sign of confidence. It's certainly more shareholder friendly. Um, I think I think one of the big things that's been on my mind as a Facebook shareholder is what exactly is the plan with the messenger properties? Um, you know, you, you touched on. Kind of some of the more ephemeral features that they've added to WhatsApp and um, and the adoption there. But you just look at the gross numbers of uh, monthly active users. WhatsApp has over a billion monthly actives. Messenger has 1.2 million uh, monthly actives. 
uh, 1.2 billion, sorry, monthly actives. And those are massive and, and relatively untapped opportunities for Facebook to monetize. Um, you know, in the past, Mark Zuckerberg has kind of outlined this philosophy of, you know, phase one, get a really great cus- consumer experience and get it at scale. And those are clearly both there already. Phase two is have people interacting with businesses freely. And, and I think um, that's kind of where both of these platforms are. And then phase three is help the businesses reach people. And that's that's where you start to see monetization. That's maybe where you see ads or sponsored content, something like that. Um, so with messenger properties both in phase two, um, I'm kind of wondering what that's going to look like because I, I don't mind as much that Instagram isn't broken out as a product segment because the monetization strategy there is very similar to what they're doing on the main Facebook platform. Like a lot of the learnings there are going to port directly over to it because it's a visual medium. Uh, it's not a messaging app. It's it's a very kind of newsfeed oriented platform. Um, but but when you look at what's happened Messenger, the experience for users is a little bit different. Yeah, I think. Um... I think so. I think the challenge on the messaging side is in terms of building the business, which Zuckerberg touched on in the conference call, which is you know they need to I think he said quote build the behavior um, of people actually getting used to interacting with businesses through Messenger, which I think is is exactly the is probably the biggest challenge and also the biggest opportunity because you know if you think about it like people aren't used to thinking of it, thinking of it like that like yeah lots of companies have you know. When you go to the website, they have this little pop-up thing for a live chat. Like, do you have any questions? Can I help you? And you know, that's one thing that people are used to. But it's more like they, they, that comes to you. Like, that's in your face when you go to the website, right? And I think that's what most people think of when they think about this idea of kind of like having a chat with the company. And to to completely change that model into into like, hey, here's this one platform. It's a messaging platform where you can also message your friends. But you can also message any company that you do business with or want to interact with, and they can do customer service or whatever it is that they want to interact with you about. But I think behaviorally, it is a pretty big change because no one's used. You know, there's never been a platform like that before, and to get people to actually warm up to that idea uh, in meaningful numbers, right? I mean, like with a billion plus people on these platforms, you need to have a lot of them actually doing that type of behavior before you can really start turning on the monetization. And I think that is going to be pretty tough because it's com- it's really unfamiliar to people. And I mean, I don't, not to say that they can't do it. I, I, I mean, I, I believe in Facebook's ability to execute, but I just think that that is going to be a pretty key piece of building this business and it's, it will be a big challenge. But, you know, I, I think that they will be able to pull it off eventually if they can get people to kind of shift, you know, you know, it's kind of a paradigm shift in, in thinking about how you interact with a company. I mean, People like to interact with companies on Twitter all the time, but it's you know, it, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's it's kind of changing how users um, you know expect to to interact there. And and two different ways that management kind of offered as possibilities and things that they're investigating for monetizing these platforms. One of them was ads that display in newsfeed, which is kind of interesting. And so it wouldn't be that they're appearing in Messenger or WhatsApp. But they would be ads to take people to those platforms and create communications with companies and brands. And then the second one is paid content in Messenger. And this is probably something that's a little bit more easier to visualize. And it's just something that is kind of in in the inbox or in other places on the platform. Um, more kind of standard ad placements. That's kind of all we got from management uh, in terms of commentary on that. So it continues to be a wait and see type thing. Thankfully, with Instagram and Facebook. Kind of firing on all cylinders and being 
uh, incredibly profitable, showing great growth. It's not something that we really have to worry about right now, but that will be the next phase of growth for this business, looking at just the available user base there. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see like what the mix looks like. You know, once this, once they really start turning on monetization, like what's driving the the revenue? Is it going to be this like business interaction stuff, or is it going to be like paid content, sponsored ads in some carousel? Which, I mean, I mean, the problem with ads and messaging is just it's a crappy experience because no one wants to look at ads while you're trying to communicate, which they've acknowledged before. So I, I, I will be interested to see how that plays out in terms of the mix shift or if they have some other new ideas. I mean, a lot of those Asian uh, the messaging companies in Asia, they have like e-commerce, they have games. Games, I think maybe there's some potential there and they might be experimenting a little bit. But yeah, it, it's still very much early days. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring up games. I mean, um, for Facebook's main platform, uh, payments and other fees is really the only segment that's declining or or not really showing impressive growth. There's not a huge surprise there. I mean, that's all revenue that's tied to games and in-app purchases on the platform. It's a tiny, tiny part of Facebook's top line. You know, I wonder if that would be something that would resume, resonate more uh, on the messaging side. I could also see them doing something kind of along the lines of how ads appear in Gmail right now, right? Um, where it's where it's part of the experience. It's there, but. Um, it, it's not super intrusive. Um, I'm sure they. I'm sure they have a lot of market research uh, that that would lead them to either steer towards that or steer away from it, though. Yeah, kind of like the sidebar display yeah. ads on the desktop platform for Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Um, looking forward with Facebook and and looking at their guidance. Unfortunately, the company is pretty numbers light when it comes to um, what might be coming in the future quarters. The biggest thing that we have to go off of here is a quote from David Weiner, who is the CFO. And he said, we continue to expect that we'll see deceleration in ad revenue growth. And that's going to be particularly pronounced as we get to the second half of 2017, because ad load will be less significant factor driving growth and starting in the second half. So I think the the message from management is kind of curb your enthusiasm a little bit. Um, you know, they posted basically 50% year over year growth here. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to continue. We don't really have a whole heck of a lot else to go on, though, unfortunately. I mean, they did give a little bit of guidance in terms of, like expense on the expense side, even though even if they didn't really clarify on the revenue side. So uh, they did say gap expenses should go up forty to fifty percent. So if revenue and and you know with revenue last quarter being up at fifty percent, if that's decelerating, that does imply a little bit of margin contraction if expenses are going to keep rising at kind of that same rate while ad revenue growth slows down a little bit. I mean, again, as we mentioned earlier, they have pretty healthy margins to begin with, so it's not like a huge issue if that contracts a little bit. But for to put that number, that percentage growth into context, that would put 2017 total costs and expenses to about 21 to 22 billion, um, which is, you know, because last year it was about 15. So, th- you know, that, that's a pretty big jump up in terms of expenses. A uh, big piece of that is the CapEx, um, so, 2017 capital expenditures are expected to seven to 7.5 billion, uh, which you know, they said this. You know, they're really ramping up infrastructure investments, which makes sense because Facebook's so big that you know they, they, it, it made sense a long time ago for them to really take control of their infrastructure. And they, during the quarter, they did break ground in their ninth data center in Nebraska. Um, you know, so you know, they, they definitely are investing very heavily on the infrastructure side to, to you know really support future growth. Uh, and Zuckerberg, you know, another quote from the call that you know, is kind of forward-looking that I think is important is he says something about like, over oh, the next 10 years, we're going to keep building these kind of consumer use cases around technologies that they think will be a big part of their business. 
eventually maybe not for a little while so i mean generally i do like that kind of long-term thinking i mean 10 years is a pretty you know long timeline uh to be putting together these strategies and to invest now makes certainly makes sense uh given how good they are at the data center side of you know their infrastructure is really impressive in terms of how much they've built it out over the past few years. And again, they're, they're now on their ninth data center that is wholly owned. Like it's only theirs. It's not shared with anyone. It's, I mean, they, they control their infrastructure and that's probably one of the biggest advantages that they have is being able to invest in it and have full control over how it operates. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're going to continue to see them investing heavily in this infrastructure piece. Um, but yeah, we just need them to put up the strong, you know, Put up the growth to help cover those costs, even if there's a little bit of margin contraction. Yeah, and and I think if we're looking for takeaways for investors with, with Facebook, I mean, I'm a shareholder. I was pretty happy with the results all in all. I know there was will sell off immediately after they posted. Um, if you want to get a sense of what's going on with properties like Instagram, you kind of have to watch monthly active users and and kind of gauge things from there. Unfortunately, um, I, I think that there's still a lot of excitement about what they're going to do with the messaging apps. Over the last year, they've been a little bit clearer in, you know, actually talking about what they might be doing in terms of monetization. So I, I don't think we're near that anytime soon. But it's clearly something they're thinking about and testing quite a bit. So, so that's a big growth runway for them. I still see a lot of stuff that I really like with this business. Uh, I don't know about you, Evan, but no, I, I, I'm also a shareholder, and I'm, I'm a big fan of everything they do. I think they're executing really well. Uh, to kind of like play devil's advocate for just a sec, I will say that one thing I, I've mentioned repeatedly over the past few years is I'm st- like it's been years since they bought WhatsApp, and I'm still skeptical about what they paid for it. Uh, I mean, they, they paid like twenty odd billion dollars for a messaging app that had no revenue, and you know I know that their plan is to build this business with it, but it's just so much money, and like when you pay so much for an acquisition like that, you create a whole so much risk for yourself because you know if you look at the balance sheet, they have something like eighteen, you know, some odd billion dollars of goodwill and intangibles. That is the vast majority of that is because of this WhatsApp acquisition, and if you compare that to Instagram. It was a billion dollars. Instagram was a billion dollars, and at the time, everyone thought that was crazy. But now, in hindsight, that's been probably one of the best acquisitions they've ever made because of how much it's growing. And but a billion compared to twenty billion, it's a pretty big, pretty different bar in terms of how well you need to execute to, to justify that later on. And very specifically, if you compare WhatsApp to Messenger, I mean, these two platforms are very similar, right? I mean, in terms of you know user size, how they're going to monetize it. But Messenger, they developed in-house for way less than $20 billion. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know, WhatsApp, they bought for $20 billion. And now you have these two businesses. They're both doing really well operationally. Uh, still kind of early days monetization. But one, you paid a whole ton of money for. The other, you paid almost nothing for because you made it yourself. And you know, if so there's just so much risk. If WhatsApp doesn't work out later on in terms of monetization, they will have to end up taking a humongous impairment on that goodwill that's sitting on the balance sheet right now. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a huge risk factor that's just sitting there on the balance sheet. It has been sitting there for years. And you know, I mean, eventually, if again, if they can't make it work out, it's going to be a big hit for shareholders. Hopefully they will, but you know, it, it's just a huge risk factor that I've, I haven't been able to ignore and it's still very prominent, and I still don't understand why they paid so much. But <laughs> rant, rant over. <laughs> yeah. Um, you actually, you have a great article. I believe it's from um, maybe a year or two ago, uh, right around when the acquisition settled. 
um, detailing that. So, listeners, if you want more of a nuts and bolts look at the company's goodwill and, and, and the accounting for that, just email into the show, industryfocusatfool.com, and we'll be sure to send it along. Um, I'm getting the note from Dan Boyd in the studio that we need to wrap up. I guess there's some other stuff going on. I guess we're getting a little carried away with earnings. But, <laughs> but uh, anything else before uh, before we wrap things up, then? No, I think we, we covered pretty much all of it. All right. Um, but before I get into my standard disclosure, I got to do the wrap up for Puzzle Week. So, listeners, this is the end of Puzzle Week for Industry Focus. If you've been following along, you know that we love games here at Full HQ. Puzzles and challenges are a huge part of how we team build and we spark collaboration here at The Fool. We even have our own chief collaboration officer and puzzle master, Todd Etter. Uh, we wanted to give you guys, the listeners, a little fun, a little taste of the fun that we have here at the office. And so we had Todd devise a challenge for you guys, a little puzzle for you to try to figure out. And so, as you may have heard on previous episodes, every day this week, each host had wrapped up the show with a clue. The answer to that clue is a company name, and the company names from Monday through Friday will all fit into a final puzzle that I'm going to reveal in just a minute. So, if you want to solve the whole thing, I need you to listen to every episode this week. For doing that and submitting it, the first 10 listeners that shoot us an email after today's, shows, after today's show airs uh, with the five company names and the final answer will get full swag. So, here's today's tech clue. If you insert three letters after the second letter in the name of this seven-letter e-commerce company, you'll get the name of a mustard. What is the name of the company? I'm going to say that one more time. If you insert three letters after the second letter in the name of this seven-letter e-commerce company, you'll get the name of a mustard. What's the name of the company? And now for the final clue that puts all five company names together. Using the following order, tech, consumer goods, healthcare, energy, and financials, take the first letters of the five companies of your answers to spell the name of a globally famous consumer goods brand. Just one more time. Using the following order, tech, consumer goods, healthcare, energy, financials, take the first letters of the five companies of your answers to spell the name of a globally famous consumer goods brand. So after this show airs Friday afternoon, if you solve every clue, write into industryfocus at pool.com with the subject line puzzle with the five company names and the answer to the final clue. Also, make sure to tell us your t-shirt size. That's part of the swag. Uh, if you're stumped and you want the reveal on May 12th, we're going to post them to the Motley Fool Podcast Facebook group and the Industry Focus Twitter account, so you can find the answers there. And I have to read a little legalese here. To enter this contest, there is no purchase necessary, and the contest is open to all legal residents of the U.S. and Canada, excepting residents of the Providence of Quebec over the age of 18. Employees, affiliates, and contractors, and their families uh, of the Motley Fool LLC or any of their affiliates are not eligible. Void where prohibited by law. And if you want a complete list of the contest rules, you can go over to puzzle.fool.com. That was a mouthful. But, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. Thanks to Dan Boyd for subbing in for Austin Morgan behind the glass today. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus.fool.com. You can always tweet us at mfindustryfocus as well. If you like the show and you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.